On this episode of Adventure Rider Radio, we have Jeffrey Palnaya, who is the first Indonesian traveler to travel the world by motorcycle. We're also going to tackle bike shipping with Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited. Is it better to ship by air or sea? And we're going to discover some things on this show that you need to know before you grab that inexpensive shipping deal that seems oh so sweet. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Dustin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Alan Carl. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tax. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Russ. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. And I'm Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and get this, it has a lifetime warranty, which is brand new. Best Rest also makes tire changing and tire repair kits that are small enough to fit in your saddlebag, and the crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves. They know what you need when you're exploring the world visit them at cyclepump.com that's cyclepump.com Jeffrey Polnaya is from Indonesia, and back in 2006, he started a round-the-world trip on his motorcycle. But before that, when he was talking about doing a trip, riding his motorcycle around the world, he was told it's impossible. Over and again, his friends and connections told him that it's just not something that's done. And it's cultural, because in Indonesia, people don't ride their motorcycles around the world. It's just not something that seems to be part of their culture, like it is in many parts of the world, like where we're from. When I spoke with Jeffrey, he was back at home in Indonesia, and he was spreading the word of what he found in the world. Okay, hi, this is Jeffrey Polnaya from Indonesia. Uh, now I stay, I just arrived in Indonesia three months ago from my long, long trip uh, around the world. Now, Jeffrey, uh, I think you left in 2006, April of 2006 was when you departed Indonesia on this trip. Before we get to that, uh, let's just back up a little bit. Tell us about life before this motorcycle trip. Uh, I'm a businessman. And then uh, every day I did the same job. You know, I have my own company. I working, uh, wake up in the morning, go to my my, my uh, office, and then uh, back at night. And then uh, one day, uh, I watch a TV with my son in the weekend. And then, you know, nine one one happened in New York when the uh, the plane hit the tower. Uh, and then my son screaming, and we are screaming, "What's going on?" I said, and it's a sad story. My son told me that what's going on. Every day you remind me to take care of my friend, to love your family. But you see, in the real world, people kill each other. Yeah? And then it's quiet for a while because I don't know, I cannot say something, you know, it's really, really shocked us. 
And then he told me again that do something, please do something. And then I, I told him, it's a 10 years old boy, what can I do? I'm just a businessman, I'm a writer. What can I do? Yeah, you are a writer. Why don't you write for peace? What do you mean? I asked him. Write for peace, that go around the world and dedicate for worldwide peace. Wow, you know, I feel so, wow. 10 years old boy can talk about that. You know, uh, I never dreamed to go around the world, you know. I never prepared for it. I'm just an ordinary people. I'm writing. I like writing. I, see, I, write, I write still since uh, 78. But it's not to go around the world, <laughs> not to see the world. But this is like a, a trigger for me. Wow. And then, uh, but I think ah, maybe tomorrow or the day after he will forget it. But. He didn't forget it. He asked me every week, hey, Dad, what about drive for peace? And then, okay, I told him, hmm, okay. I tried to, to make it happen. But, and then I got very, very bad accident. The car hit me from my back. I'm riding a motorbike and he hit me. And then I'm lying on the ground and he crashed me, you know. So it's really bad accident, uh, broken rib and spinal fracture. And then doctors told me, uh, if he's alive, it's going to be paralyzed. That's what doctor said. And you see, I'm lying on my bed and yeah, I can't do something. And I saw my boy, wow. No, no, I don't want to make him sad. I have to start to walk. And then in six months, with my strong spirit in my mind. I have to walk, I have to walk, I have to go around the world and then I can walk. But the other problem coming because nobody wants to sponsoring me, you know, because everybody said, oh, impossible. How can you go around the world? Since Indonesia independence in 1945, nobody ever go around the world. No, even with motorcycle alone, no, nobody can do it. Everywhere I go, uh, they said I'm crazy, and, uh, and then, but I keep on trying. And five years, you know, I, I, I try, but nobody. But the last time, and one company coming, Agar Adventure, and said, hey, Jeffrey, uh, we think you can do it. We will sponsoring with you with equipment. So, oh, it's good. <laughs> It's it's a alignment. It's I feel happy even it's only one company. So I decide to sell my company. I change my life and then uh, I start to hit the road in April 2006. You know, I don't have any example. I don't know. I know Grant Johnson from Contact, but. I'm not a person who can linger on on the computer and browsing this, browsing. I'm not the kind of person like that. I like, so when I go, I really don't know anything. You know? <laughs> Even I don't know how to fix my flat tire. I don't know. <laughs> I just go with my very basic English. I just go and I said, okay, when I have to stop, I stop. In my heart, I don't want to stop. I just want to go, go, go. <laughs> and then, yeah, I go. 
Yeah, it's a long story. You're a businessman, or at least you were a businessman. And, and certainly well, most people who have done any sort of business, ran any sort of business, or know anything about it, know you have to be the type of person that has to be fairly diligent with the way you do things. How do you go from being a businessman to putting everything on the line and riding around the world for world peace, which I, I want to get to in a minute, but let's just look at that to begin with. Yeah, it's for the world, but uh, peace it doesn't mean I, I want to talk about peace in everybody, with everybody, no. I just want to dedicate dedicate this. This planet is so beautiful, you know, so beautiful. I've been in 97 countries by road. I met so many, many, many million people, very nice people, different culture, different religion. You know, what is make it worse is only uh, like a political. You know, it's not for us. <laughs> people on the road, everywhere, very nice. Of course, there are some bad people, but only a few. You can count, you can count on them, but good people, you cannot count on them. There are so many. So... <laughs> It looked like, oh, I sell my company. Oh, of course you are rich. Yeah, in my country I'm rich. But as long as I go out, my country is not rich. Because here, in Indonesia, $200 is a millionaire. <laughs> it's a millionaire. So uh, the money is not so much. But I found out on the road, money is not everything. I never ask money. I never ask some people to, hey, we can I stay in your home or no? Never, never, never. Just go. But all the sympathy, all the sympathy is open. If you are doing good things, good things will come to you. That's what I believe. And then it happened to me, you know. You know, sometime, Jim, in the middle of nowhere in South America, I just have $500 in my pocket, you know. And I said, wow. Even it's not enough to go back home. <laughs> it's even not enough for my ticket. You know? Wow. And I'm just sitting, relaxed. <laughs> my bike is broken and need like $4,000 for my bike. And then I have only 500 in my pocket. Okay, relax. Take a breath. And then I start, I start to contact a few magazines to sell my photo. I sell them. And then, okay, it's not enough. After a few days, I have like, okay, $3,000. Still far from enough. And then, you know, I always believe the miracle. It's, it's happened a lot in my life. <laughs> so I believe in Just relax. And then, bing, from Germany in my email. Hey, Jeffrey, uh, can we renew our contract? Oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> and, you know, $25,000. <laughs> and Tim... That is true, you know, that is something happened. So some people believe, oh, wow. money, 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 money. It's not true. I mean, what you did along the road is much more important than the one, what what you, you know, I don't know what to say, but that's more important to make people very nice doing this, doing that, because all good things, all bad things will come on your way. The road is not always different. It's not always the same. I mean, it's always every day, same road, different kind of thing. So open your mind, go for it, be good, and then good thing will come. That's what I believe, and I survive, you know. As even in the bad, bad, bad situation, I cross Afghanistan, they shot me, bah, 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 bah. whoa, <laughs> what's going on? No. But 
No, I can't talk with you. <laughs> I'm survive. Well, let's talk about the purpose of the trip. Your son yeah. really is the one who came up with the idea for this trip. How old is your son now? Uh, now he's 20, 25, 25, yes, 25. So yeah. he's the one that came up with the idea for writing for World Peace to spread the word. Yeah. Tell me about that, more about that. What exactly is writing for World Peace? And do you really think that, that you will achieve the goal? Uh, <laughs> I don't expect for that because uh, I'm alone, you know. I just dedication. It's only dedicate. I don't want to change the word. I dedicate this right for peace. So even I did so many presentations, but I don't talk about peace because you know what is peace. I don't have to explain people about peace, but friendship, brotherhood, sisterhood, make a friend all around the world, you can feel it. And then you know if you are in the in the in the middle of nowhere and the Atacama and you're sitting there and wow, you know, this is peace. <laughs> you know, and I wanna share my feeling. This is good, you know, to be to be to be to be what well, I don't know to say what uh, to make friend, something like that, you know. So I'm not a monk, I'm not a priest. To give a speech, hey, people believe in peace. No, no, I never do it. But just like dedication for worldwide peace, Jim. What does your family think of you being on the road since 2006? And you just mentioned you just got back now, which is only your second time returning home. How does your family feel about that now? And especially your son? Yeah, they are happy because the ideas not come from me. <laughs> Um, uh, and then uh, before I left, and then we talked seriously about it. Hey, come on. Now we sit and talk serious. I thought, you said, go around the world, write for peace. I told him, it means maybe I never back home for years. <laughs> it's not not talk about around Indonesia. Even talk around Indonesia, it takes one year. It's talk about the world. I never done it. Nobody here never done it. Maybe one, two years, three years, four years, I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, my son told me, yeah, Dad, uh, it's a consequence. So after they said, all, all my family said, hey, why don't we do it? Okay. And then, you know, the commitment is very important. You know? Because uh, I talked to my son one day, I was in, in Alaska, in Fairbanks. And I called my son and he told me, Dad, you are far away, but you are not. Why? I said, yeah, you know, I just graduated from my uh, high school and then I go to university. And then my teacher asked me, because uh, his name is Rendra Prasta Polnaya, and then both uh, Polnaya. And then uh, what? Related you are with Jeffrey Polaya. And my son told he's my dad. Wow. And suddenly, suddenly, uh, the teacher becomes so kind to him because he know he know me. I'm not really famous, but I'm the first one in Indonesia who made it, so some people know me. And then it's good for him. He said, You are protecting me from the distance. 
and then uh, that is different, you know. What would you say the goal is? How, like, what will what will be accomplished where you'll all of a sudden say, "Okay, I'm going home." Uh, actually, and I first said, "I'm going home," and just continue my trip, and I'm on the way home. Even maybe I'm home next five years, but I'm on the way home. Even when I start my second trip from Paris, I will go home. But from Paris, I go Trans-Siberia all the way, you know. And in 2012, there is dirt road. All they start to make the road, but no road. And then I visit North America, but I told them I'm on the way home. <laughs> Even maybe next time. So I'm home when I finish all the trip. So I visit Asia, Africa, North Africa, Europe, and then uh, across Trans-Siberia to North America, Central and South America, Australia, and I am home. Because if you say circumnavigated, that is a term and condition. Circumnavigation, the word, you, it means you have to cross all the longitude. You have to cross all the latitude. You have to... It's not only go visit the country, but cross all. That is circumnavigation. The word, not only the the the, the continent, you know. So I'm thanks thankful that I'm blessed that I can do it. It's not for achievement, but I I just do it, you know. And I'm survive. When you enter a country, though, do you have a goal that's something that you're going to accomplish in that country before you move on? Not really. Not really. Because, uh, you know, first, I don't know the country. I, I, I'm not the person who likes to sitting in front of the computer and looking, browsing and, uh, about the country. So what I did, just, I just came. Just came to the country like a blank canvas. I don't know what country it is. I don't know the language. I don't know anything. I just coming there and enjoy it, okay? I met bad people, okay, I got experience. I met good people and they start to to draw my blank canvas. Some painting in black, some painting in red, blue, and it become colorful, you know? And then I always happy. Because what? Because I don't expect for something. Just, I just enjoy every moment. I enjoy everything what happened, even the bad things, you know. If you can convert in unconvert zone, it's like a normal situation. It's like heaven. Because in unconvert zone, you can feel comfort, you know. In the middle of desert, I get lost in Atacama in the middle. I don't know, maybe tomorrow I'm going to die. But it's okay. I relax. And if you can be like that, the, the normal life is like heaven. Every day is like heaven. You know? Because, uh, yeah, just open it. It's like, like, like here in your mind. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, like, like what you tell about the goal. So I just coming inside, enjoy everything in the country, you know, the culture, people, the language. Uh, when I go out from the country, I have very good picture of the country. Wow, it's beautiful. And then, hey, next country waiting for me. Blank canvas again. 
When you do your talks, like at Horizons Unlimited Meet, what are you talking about? Uh, my trip, inspiring people, motivate people. You know, uh, I just say when I start my trip, I'm not the expert in riding. I can ride properly, but I'm not good mechanic. I don't speak very good English. I'm very ordinary people just go. You know, I just have a faith to go. That's why I'm sharing. In 2011, you wrote a book called um, Wind Rider. Tell us about that book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this book uh, talk about my first trip. Uh, 20, 27 story from 72 country. And then uh, it's still in Indonesia language. And then lots of people, ah, Jeffrey, come on, translate. It might be one day. If I translate it, I will, I will let you know, Jeff. <laughs> And I will send you a book. <laughs> well, that would be great. But why, why don't you share one or two of those stories that are in that book? Yeah, uh, but my first trip, but my first trip, uh, because, uh, no, some people think that go around the world, you have to be a real adventure man. For me, along my experience, it's not really true. So in my book, I wrote about ordinary people who go around the world with all the all the the problem, all the happiness, this and that, just like that, you know? because you know, people always think, oh, go around the world. Well, you be you must be very tough, you must be very good rider, you must be very good mechanic, because why? Ninety nine point nine percent people. If you see in uh, social media, they like to make a picture when they are in very bad condition, you know, very bad road. They want to show that this the road is so tough. You have to be a tough man to go like this. You know, they show when, when they cross the 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 water you know, or they cross the sand and they make picture. It's only like. 2% from all the road they grow. All the road is paved and good and nice, only like one kilometer bad, but they like to make this bad to be represent the whole trip, you know? So people who never go around and say, wow, how can I do it? It's very difficult. I think we have to be fair. It's not true. And everywhere, everybody who go around the world know it. It's not really true like that. Some that that is really heavy day. Some is really heavy. Whole day is really bad, you know. But it's only few percent from a whole trip. It's good to travel the world because you will open your mind. You will respect other people. You will respect other country. You will respect the different. You will feel so blessed. Oh, this planet is so beautiful. Wow, even in Afghanistan. If you go to Afghanistan, it's beautiful, beautiful. Wow, I said, it's a war country, but it's beautiful. <laughs> so I'm inspiring my, my people here. In Indonesia, I did so many presentations in university, and I will do more, I will do more next year uh, to inspiring people. You started out riding a BMW 1150, uh, R1150 GS. Yeah. Are you still riding that bike? Yes, yes uh, this bike is still here. 
my this is my second one the first one stolen in amsterdam and i sleep i slept in my hotel wake up in the morning and the bag is gone same r1150 gs yeah the engine is really good but i got problem with the gearbox because uh, i did so many dirt road and you know that is big very happy bike if you compare with the new one uh, old one is very happy but very strong and then uh, gearbox i think i replaced my gearbox uh, for time yes for time mm. but the rest is okay it's good how uh, many miles have you done on it uh i don't know in mile but uh, 420000 kilometer all all my first and second bike that's combined so, for the uh, two bikes Yes, yes, combined from two bike, four hundred twenty thousand kilometer, ninety seven country in seven years. Yes, seven years. Yeah, Jeffrey, after ninety seven countries, um, seven years, four hundred thousand kilometers, what stands out to you the most in the places you've been? Oh uh, yeah, this planet. This planet is so beautiful. That's what I think, and then. Um, so many, many nice people. So many nice people in this planet. And then, uh, of course, there is some bad people, but you can count it. It's a little, it's uh, not too many. And then uh, the rider is like a big family. Uh, wherever you go, you know. They are different religion, different culture, different everything. Even they, I met some writer that I cannot speak with the language. I speak with Tafsan language, with the, all the code, and the hand, my hand, everything, my body, speak with them. But we know in our heart that we are family. And this is amazing, amazing. Uh, uh, I met so many people I never met. And when I just talk and after two minutes, and it's like, we are a friend for 10 years. Like we already make a friend for, for a long time. And this is amazing, you know, amazing. And then uh, that's why I, I suggest or for the people to, to go to see another world. Yeah. Jeffrey, this is a really important question. I think you're the first person that I've ever asked this. How long do you think it takes to travel the world and really get to know its people? I mean, could somebody do it in a week? Does it take a month? Or, or is there even a time you can put on it? How do you know how long you need to, to designate for this to, to meet the people of the world? Wow, this is relative. Even me, seven years on the road, I don't feel enough. Because uh, even people who travel 25 years on the road, I don't think they know everything. No. If I said I travel seven years and people said, you see a lot. Yes, I see a lot. But I know a lot. But still, the more you go, the more you feel that you don't know anything. <laughs> when I go after two, three country, I feel like a big guy, you know, wow, I go around the world. But after 40 country and be, 
hey, we are very small and I'm very small, become smaller, 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 and just like dust in the wind. And after so many countries, like dust, nothing, nothing. Some people maybe one week, but for sure they don't see anything. Even if you go traveling one year, you don't see anything. You see something, but you see, you don't see a lot of things. Um, it's difficult question for me, Jim. Even now, as traveling seven years, and I'm continuing, you know, this planet is it's not too big to explore, but it's too big to know everything. Do you find that the more you learn, the more you realize you know nothing? Is that what it is? Yeah, that is really true. That is really true. The more I go, the more I explore. And my, wow, I don't know this. <laughs> and then, but at the same time, people will see you bigger and bigger. But you see yourself smaller and smaller. Not smaller to make yourself small, but you just realize, oh, I don't know. I don't know nothing. I know a lot of things, but I know, hey, well, <laughs> how to explain it? The thing that I don't know is more than the thing I know. That's something like that. What's the cure for the world? What um, what would make the world experience peace? Uh, uh, I think for the people, it's no problem. It's it's the problem is between the government. It's not between the people. People they are feel peace. They are good. Uh, it's 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 not our domain. No, it's. Yeah, just, just the politics make it worse, <laughs> not us. So maybe one day all the explorers become political people and the world will be peace. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> Jeffrey, thank you very much. Yeah, Jim. Uh, thank you. I've been speaking with Jeffrey Palnaya from Indonesia, and you can find out more about Jeffrey and his travels by visiting his website, www.rideforpeace.net. And of course, you can drop by our website and look at the show notes for this episode. We've got some great photos that Jeffrey has given us that you'll want to see um, of him on his adventure. I just came from the Aerostitch website and see they've got a month-long inventory reduction sale. Now get this, up to 80% off hundreds of sale items. That is something you want to look at. But before you do, I'm going to give you the website that I want you to go to, www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. That way they know it came from Adventure Rider Radio, and that helps keep our show going, of course. Now, I had already mentioned that Aerostitch has a zero motorcycle, electric motorcycle that they're testing. They're riding through the winters in Duluth, Minnesota. So, I mean, it's just bizarre to ride a motorcycle in general in Duluth, Minnesota, but to ride an electric bike with all the, um, what I imagine would be problems, um, you know, with batteries and things like that. Anyway, that's what they're doing. And they've got a blog on their website. So if you go to their website, www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR, you can click on the link to their blog for this. And it's really interesting looking at or reading through their information here because they talk about the bike and the batteries and they talk about tires and studs and it's all a discovery. Imagine taking your bike out riding in the dead of winter. I mean, there's people like, you know, Ed March and Doris Wiedemann is another one that enjoys riding in the wintertime. But um, 
these people at Aerostitch, they're so into trying to perfect the whole thing. So when they're talking about their clothing, they've even adjusted things like their um, shoulder pads so that they're a little bit more pliable for the winter. They talk about suspension. They talk about traction, like I said, with the tires and certainly about the battery and riding an electric motorcycle. It's really interesting. They're just getting going on it, but you've got to check it out. What is it like to ride a motorcycle in winter? I don't know if this is going to start a trend or not, but um, it's uh, it's an interesting thing to look at. And I think that says something about Aerostitch. Stitch as well. It's another one of the reasons that, that I get behind Aerostitch because they're a rider company. This isn't a company just trying to flog some gear to make some money. This is a company that is made up of riders who truly love motorcycling. And don't forget to give their Ride More Guarantee a thought, where if you buy any one-piece R3 or Roadcrafter classic riding suit, try it for a month, and what they say is if you're not riding more than you did before you received it, then you can send it back and get your full refund, no questions asked. That shows confidence in their product. I told you before about downloading the catalog you can download the catalog for free it's right there on their website or you can order the paper version which is really cool i have sitting right beside me in the studio right now if you're thinking of buying a new jacket for this upcoming season you have to go by the aerostitch website and look at what they have i think you're going to be highly impressed they truly make top quality gear and people have ridden them around the world to prove their durability And another indicator is when you look through their website, you'll see that they also offer repairs and alterations for their jacket. They treat the jacket more like you're buying something for life rather than just buying something that you're going to replace in a couple years. And that mindset is what truly makes them special. Drop by aerostitch.com forward slash ARR and make sure when you're talking to them, tell them Adventure Rider Radio sent you. You can't travel the world without shipping your motorcycle. And it's not as easy or maybe as difficult as it seems, but there are some pitfalls and there's some things you need to know. Coming up in a few minutes, I'm going to speak with Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited, and he's going to give us the lowdown on shipping your bike around the world. But first, I'm going to speak with JJ Lewis from The Good Adventure Company. And once again, I'm speaking with JJ Lewis from The Good Adventure Company. JJ, you managed to survive Christmas okay. Jim, we we, uh, we we kept our hats on here. Um, it's getting really uh, really cold in in uh, Colorado uh, over Christmas, and did a lot of the uh, fat biking um, just kind of stay in shape. So, uh, but it's finally warming up here just a little bit, so you can go outside and uh, not not get your face frozen. So, come time for your Copper Canyon trip, you should be in top physical condition, is what you're saying. Slim down right. and, and ready to go. That's right. We're ready to. I'd be. I'm practicing uh, lifting up those bikes already. <laughs> that should be good. <laughs> so, how is the the Copper Canyon trip shaping up? You know, Jim, it's been a remarkable um, sort of thing to get this to get this together. Um, we've got ten riders. We've got a rider from Alberta, Portland, Seattle, New York, Southern California, Colorado. Um, we also have a, um, a couple Mexican riders that are going to be joining us. So it's going to be. Um, you know, 10 to 15 riders down there, and we're going to be um, having a blast. We've just got the tracks and the routes all in our uh, GPSs, and, you know, I can barely sleep at night. I'm so excited. So uh, just for, for those who might not know, tell us how the Good Adventure Company works. What is the whole point of what you're doing? Well, our, our point is to uh, make the world a better place to live and to ride, and so we want to really do hardcore adventure riding, uh, which we like to do. Uh, most of us are on big bikes, and we like to actually, wherever we go, we like to make it a better place. So 
what we're doing down there for our Copper Canyon trip is uh, uh, I've got in touch with uh, some of the locals down there, and there's a boarding school um, with a number of children. I think it's like 30 or 40 children down there. So they go home on the weekend, but during the week they stay there. So they, they have many needs, you know, from clothing to toiletries to basic school supplies, blackboards and those kinds of things that they need. So we're going to be basically scouting out what they need and then using a good portion of the profits from this trip to go and bless that school down in the Copper Canyon. This is so amazing. Like, like I said before, I love the idea that you're you're going to do a trip in an area and you're, you're helping the people. It's just amazing. But let's say I can't go on the Copper Canyon trip, which I can't, but maybe uh, is there a chance for me to donate some money to, to help out? Is there a way to do that? Yeah, we'd love to take um, any donations. So um, if you want to PayPal a donation to a good ADV company, so it's good ADV and the word company at gmail.com. That's the PayPal address and say donation for the Copper Canyon trip. 100% of that will go to the boarding school uh, in Copper Canyon down in Batsapiles. So 100% of that. So the whole donation goes to it. And then, like you say, a good portion of what um, what the trip is all about is going to it. Just just amazing. And now you can still squeeze, what, a couple of riders on there? So if somebody decides they want to go on this thing, you, you might be able to squeeze a few more in? Yes, I have room for one or two more riders. And uh, that's, that's going to be tipping the scale. Um, we've got 10 already, but we have rooms reserved for at least a couple more riders. So if people are interested, they can go to uh, our webpage, good-adv.com, and the guided trips section. And underneath there, there is a, a way to put your information in and uh, let us know what you're interested in, and we'll get right back to you. And what are the dates again, JJ? It's February 13 through 20. And uh, all the lodging is included. Um, as well as the last meal, the celebratory meal on the Sea of Cortez in San Carlos on the last night. So it's going to be, um, you know, it's not too much, um, but uh, we're, we're really wise in terms of using our profits and also um, making sure that we've got great places to stay. So we are going to have a blast. The thing is, too, is you've set this up so that it's not exactly like a regular tour. It's not a hand-holding thing. This is, this is more of a hands-on adventure. So those who might feel a little squeamish about going on a, on a paid adventure, what, what's the difference? Well, there's no caviar on this one, Jim. Um, and uh, <laughs> That's it? That's the difference? We, we, well, we, I, I wouldn't go. I couldn't go without caviar. I guess I could bring my own. Yeah, we, we don't have any... Um, any uh, any wine or anything like that that's named after us, or but we do certainly <laughs> want to um, give folks a true adventure um, where you know the routes are really going to be challenging. Uh, we are going to have to work together to get through some of the places, um, honestly. Um, and and it, it is really it's 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 a true adventure. So uh, I told everybody I said you know we have all the hotels planned. But make sure that you bring your tent, <laughs> your, your sleeping bag, and maybe even your jet boil and a few mountain house meals in case we are uh, spend the night out in the backcountry, uh, God forbid. And the great thing is, you go on this adventure, you have fun, you explore the area, and then you get this amazing satisfaction of helping people in need. It's, it's a great setup. Yeah, I really look forward to, to going to the boarding school and uh, taking the guys there and, and seeing the children because uh, that's the best part. Um, and also, you know, stop it along the way on, on top of the canyon. And, you know, the kids just come running and uh, it's going to be fun to kind of air up some soccer balls and uh, and give out some candy and, and just sort of share love and goodwill with the kids. 
that's a, that's what I'm one of the things I'm looking looking forward to, as well as the the wonderful <laughs> the wonderful scenery and the great riding. Oh, and we talked about the Navajo Nation adventure trip you've got coming up for May seventeenth to twentieth. Tell us about that. Well, this is going to be um, a fantastic trip. It's going to take folks on the remote places on the Navajo Reservation, uh, uh, routes where no no one goes. Um, and since I've lived on the Navajo Reservation and, and really familiar with the routes out there, I've designed a route that, that will take us all through the reservation to the Alpine, all the way down to the desert, all the way up to Muley Point, which is the best view in the southwest we'll be camping. And then it'll take us through the backcountry discovery route, the Arizona part, to Flagstaff. And then that will end at the Overland Expo. Um, so it's going to be, uh, every night's going to be camping except the last night. Um, and where uh, your, the price includes a uh, hotel and uh, the celebratory meal in Flagstaff. And then the next morning we'll be uh, riding together to uh, the Overland Expo. And I'm, I'll, I'll be actually manning the uh, Lost for a Reason tent that weekend at the Expo. So it's going to be a really cool, cool event, you know, to actually ride in from a, a just a, a pretty gnarly uh, adventure ride into, into the Expo. It's going to be a cool feeling. So that's the Navajo Nation Adventure Trip, and that's May 17th to 20th, 2016. And, of course, to find out information, they go to your website, www.good-adv.com. And naturally, that link will be in our show notes, so you can just drop by our website and look at it as well. And um, and you've got space on that, obviously. Uh, yeah, we do. And uh, I've, I get about five emails a week since I put it up, um, which is pretty neat. So a lot of people are interested in, in it. Um, the, pro- the proceeds from those profits are going to go to Navajo Yes, which is Navajo Youth Empowerment Services, which is a nonprofit that's been serving the reservation for at least a decade or two. Um, and they do tons of stuff for the kids. They w- their goal is to give every Navajo youth a, a genuine backcountry camping experience where they get to experience the wonder, wonder of the outdoors. Um, which many of the kids don't get the opportunity to do so like that. So uh, we want to help that organization out, and that's where that's what the profits are going to do uh, for the Navajo Nation trip in May. Well, I think most of us can relate to outdoor experiences. I didn't go to camp as a kid, but I talked to lots of people who did, and um, it, it makes a mark on you and, and sort of sets you up for a lifetime of adventure, and I think that sort of thing will as well. Just taking somebody out and showing them an experience, especially for a, a young, impressionable mind, it's a great idea. Yeah, and, and this and this land is such a marvelous land, um, and and the Navajo are such a beautiful uh, people, and and to give kids a real true cultural experience, because a lot of the elders and and community members uh, go along and sort of um, breathe life into a lot of these kids who are faced with a lot of challenges growing up. So it's 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 a wonderful wonderful organization that we're happy to support. And you guys are, are well connected. I mean, you're sort of, you've proven yourself to the community there through Lost for a Reason. You've been around for a while helping them out. Yeah, yeah. And we're excited to be part of the community. The, so what about your base camp rental? Because you got your base camp set up there for, um, well, talk about that. Yeah, folks that are interested in doing the uh, Colorado backcountry discovery route, you can stay with us. Uh, you can park a vehicle on our property. Um, we've got enough parking. And we do have a casita for rent. So if somebody wants to use Cortez as a base camp. Um, my little guest house uh, is seventy dollars a night, and it includes um, it's like a bed and breakfast. So it includes breakfast uh, for my wife, who actually was a, a personal chef 
for a number of years. So it's really, really good deal. So if folks are interested in that, they can look at our Facebook page. And it's also on Airbnb. We can refer them to that uh, site as well. Um, we also have the RV rental. So if somebody wants to do a base camp, let's say up in Telluride, and they don't want to stay in a tent and they don't want to stay in a hotel, we can actually park that RV in some pretty uh, cool places. And uh, and somebody can have a base camp for two or three nights. Um, you got a shower, hot water, and uh, food. And uh, it's just a great little RV that we can kind of put out there uh, for people who are interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great way to do it, especially when you say shower. I think that's a deal breaker right there for a lot of people. That's right. That's right. Well, JJ, that sounds fantastic. I'm very envious of you heading off and while you're like a month away, almost a month away from that Copper Canyon trip. That's a good point. A month away, you got to hustle. If you want to go on that thing, you want to get on there and go on this trip, you want to move on it now. Okay, JJ, while you go out there and enjoy the snow on your fat-tired mountain bike, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, Jim. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I've been speaking with J.J. Lewis from The Good Adventure Company, and you can find out more about The Good Adventure Company and the Copper Canyon trip and the Navajo Nation trip by visiting their website, good-adv.com. And now we zip over to British Columbia to talk to Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited about shipping your motorcycle. Bike shipping can be a confusing and big thing to look at, I think, for almost everybody who hasn't done it before. I guess the more you do it, the same as anything, the more you'll understand it, the better you will understand it. So to try and get a a look into this bike shipping detail, we turn to Grant Johnson, of course, who has plenty of experience shipping bikes and as well as deals with people shipping bikes all the time. Grant, welcome back. Thanks, Jim. Good to be back. So, Grant, let's start right off. I know you have a preference here. Basically, I guess what I should say is the the two ways that people look at shipping bikes, obviously, is either going to be by ship or by air. And your choice is? Usually by air, although there can be some caveats to that. One of the things that people think about when they're shipping is which direction do you ship? For instance, if you wanted to travel from Canada to South America, which is a very common route, you have a choice. Usually people don't want to ride both ways. So they ride from home to the bottom of South America and then they want to ship home. Or you can ship your bike to the other end and ride home. And there's pluses and minuses to both. Okay, so that's a very good point. If you're going to ship your bike somewhere to ride, you run into the problem of delays. That, that's got to be the number one thing. Number one thing, absolutely. It happens all the time. I could tell you a million stories about what happens with shipping your bike out from home. Um, one of the, one happened to us. We shipped our bike from Canada to New Zealand on our way to Australia. And when we arrived, we went down to the docks and said, where's the bike? And they said, oh, well, there's a slight problem. We have a dock strike on. Mm. A dock strike? Okay. And so nothing's getting out. We sat and waited for three weeks, waiting for the bike. That can be very frustrating and expensive because usually you're stuck in a big city because that's where the dock is. and You want to keep going in and checking regularly and see how things are going and what's going on. And that's very frustrating. Um, another woman that we know who had already ridden around the world decided at some point that she was going to ship her bike from England to, I think it was Colombia or Ecuador, I can't remember which, but it doesn't matter. Point is, she arrived there, gave herself plenty of time because she knew how long it takes bikes to get shipped and there can be delays. And she gave herself lots of time, 
arrived, helmet in hand, and said, where's my bike? And they said, what bike? So she phones back eventually to the dock, the shipper that she had arranged back in London, and they said, oh, it's, it's sitting here. We haven't been able to find a container to put it into. And it takes three months to get your bike there. So there's no way she got her bike. She's, there's no way she got her bike. She had a three-month vacation, and it was going to be three months for it to get there. So that could be hugely frustrating. Jumping back, and I don't want to, I don't want to jump too far out of this. So when you're talking about the shipping, that that example you gave there in particular, where you're talking about going to South America, the wise thing to do, of course, would be to ship it back because at least if you're shipping it to your home, you can wait, and the delays aren't going to cost you a fortune. Absolutely, uh, the the problem of your bike not being there when you get there by sea is way too common. It's it's too too easy for that to be a problem. Whereas if you're shipping home, you can, you're there, you arrange the shipping, you get everything done, you get the bike sent, and then you fly home. And if the bike doesn't arrive immediately, you can borrow a car or maybe you've got one or you can borrow a bike from a friend or something, but it's not a big deal. Your vacation, your trip isn't ruined because you don't have your bike. Yeah. And like you said, you're not stuck in, in an expensive hotel in a place you don't want to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there is a solution to that. You can always rent a local bike or buy a local bike and ride around, but that's that wasn't the plan. Mm. So let's just go back to that, the start again. So we were talking about the difference between shipping by sea or by air. Your preference is by air, and we'll, we'll go back to shipping by sea uh, for most parts. Is that correct? Yeah, generally by air, because one of the, the, the solution for shipping your bike and making sure that it's there when you get there is by air. Because if you arrive at an airport and say, where's my bike? And they say, oh, well, it hasn't left yet, but it'll be on tomorrow's plane. Okay, not a big deal. So if things go wrong, and things do go wrong all the time, it's much, much quicker. It's only going to be a few days at most before the bike arrives. Well, the first thing that's going to pop into someone's head, I'm sure, when they're looking at this is cost. Clearly, you're going to pay more for air. It's faster. It gets it there quicker. What sort of cost difference are we looking at? Well, that's where it gets really interesting. The shipping by sea, very often you'll get a quote from the shipper who will say it's $600 to ship your bike or $800 to ship your bike or 1000 depending on how far you're going, even 2000 to ship your bike. But what he doesn't tell you is what the fees are at the other end. At the other end, there are dock fees and port fees and fees for everything. Um, I, I live in Vancouver for a long time, and one of the guys that came into the shop told me, and he was a longshoreman, he said that the, here's the situation with how stuff gets in. Because I was complaining about cost of goods coming in. And he said, we open the container, that's $5. Now, this is 30 years ago. We look in the container, that's $5. We pick up a box, that's $5. We move the box from in front of the container 50 yards down the, on the road, that's $5. And on and on and on it goes. Everything they do, there's a fee. And you, th you can't imagine how many fees they think of. Remember that people have been shipping goods by sea for thousands of years. And the people on the docks own the docks. And what they want to do is make as much money as they can for as little work as they can. And they've had a long time to figure out all the different ways that they can charge you for something else. The difference is by air, the whole point of air shipping is it's a relatively expensive item or you wouldn't be shipping it by air, you'd be shipping it by sea. So the point is to get it through quickly because again, the point of shipping by air is quickly. So you have much fewer fees. In fact, very often there are no fees and the bike is just the shipping cost. 
with them handling your stuff like that at the dock and taking their time, that just even recording all of that is going to slow the process down. So you can sort of see it's inherent in the system that everything's going to move very slowly. Yes. And I'm absolutely. told a lot of people say by shipping by air, that's one of the things that they seem, I mean, everybody seems to that I've talked to about it, seems to say that they clear it faster and it's likely to do with space. Yeah, they want it out of there. The whole point of air shipping is speed. How fast can we move this stuff? If it sits around, it's in the way. Whereas the docks, I mean, you've seen the docks. Everybody's been to the docks at some point. They're huge. A motorcycle is not a big deal. Even 50 containers is not a big deal. They don't care how long it sits around. No, just leave it sit there and it doesn't... How much money can we make off it? That's the point. Yeah. So back to cost then. So what we're looking at is, uh, I guess, the possibility of all kinds of extra fees in because really, if, if it's done like you're saying there, it was done 30 years ago. I mean, you really don't know what your final fees are going to be until you're paying the final fee. That's right. And that's what drives people nuts. They said, my shipper told me it was going to be $600, but they hit me with $800 in fees to get it out of the docks. And that happens all the time. I've seen dock fees double what the shipping fees were. Is this partly because it's um, it's sort of a one-off? Like, I mean, if you were shipping stuff all the time and you're getting things, you know, you're an importer, would you be running into the same problems with landing? Yep, it's the same thing. But they've got a broker who does it for them, and they've got a container. If you're breaking your shipping costs down and spreading it over the uh, entire contents of a container, it's not bad per item. Whereas if you've got one motorcycle and you can put 50 motorcycles in a container if you try hard enough, there's a huge difference in what it costs you to move that one item. Every single item that moves is a real pain in the neck. So in that case that you just said, if you had a bunch of bikes, if you're going with a, a number of people, clearly there's a cost advantage to put it into a container and plan the extra time. Oh, yeah. There's a lot number of tour companies that do major tours, and they put 15, 20 bikes, because if you put try and put 50 in, they're going to be kind of damaged, or they have to be in crates. If you put 20 bikes in a container, that's easy and cheap and... The price is spread out. You've taken the whole container. It's not bad. The price is quite reasonable. But if you're shipping one or two bikes, it's it's a real pain. But when it gets to the dock, they're still going to go through and check each bike, aren't they? No. If you send the dock a container and then you pick up the container, uh, the at the other end, of course, Customs wants to look at all the bikes and you have to have all your paperwork in place. But that's a much simpler job than one bike that's in a container with a whole bunch of other stuff. Let's talk about logistics here for a second. How do you get the bike up the ramp and into the plane? <laughs> and, and, and what are we going to package it in? Okay, uh, that can vary widely. Very common is literally you roll the bike up, they strap it down onto a pallet, and a forklift picks up the pallet and puts it in the hold. That's it. Easy. That's it. That's it. That's very common. That's so much easier than packaging it up to go on a container ship. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's no contest. It's dead easy. I remember riding into Bogota and flying out, and I literally rode in, and they pointed to a pallet. They said, ride it onto the pallet. I drove up, parked it. They grabbed some straps out, strapped her down, and put some plastic wrap around the whole thing. Job done. Ten minutes. No battery, no fuel concerns, nothing. Nothing. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I had to disconnect the battery. And they do ask about fuel, and they will always ask about fuel, and you need to make sure that you've got no more than about half a gallon, a couple of liters of fuel in the tank. Yeah, that's a good point you mentioned that, because I've seen a lot of people write up that they've drained their tanks completely, that they're draining them completely out, because they want to ship these things as dangerous goods, don't they? Yeah, it's always dangerous goods. Well, at least out of North America, it's dangerous goods. Into, in and out of North America, it's dangerous goods. Europe, 
dangerous goods, but not as fussy. And the U.S. now is getting quite fussy about this. Extraordinarily fussy. It's a huge pain in the neck. Um, there's some U.S. shippers for motorcycles that specialize in shipping. And when somebody from the U.S. says, I want to ship my bike to Europe, they say, right, drive it up to Toronto and we will have our everything sorted and ready for you there. It's like half the price. We'll be back in just a minute with more from Grant Johnson and some tips on shipping your bike. Giant Loop makes amazing bags for motorcycles. Their motto is go light, go fast, go far. And they sell bags that are not only durable, high quality bags, like the stuff that you want on your adventure bike, but their fastening systems are amazing. They, they're really well known for their fastening systems and they're incredibly durable bags. But I'll give you an idea. On their website, they have the, the Giant Loop advantages. More than 30 pounds lighter than typical hard luggage. Now, this is sort of key, in, I think, in a lot of things when you're looking at, at, uh, at weight. A lot of people will buy things to reduce weight. They'll buy, you know, aluminum pieces. They'll, they'll do all sorts of things to, to get the weight down on the bike. Why have your luggage, the, the very thing that's going to hold your gear, weighing a ton? You're better off in a lot of cases, I think, to go with a lighter weight luggage that can hold your gear just as well. Giant Lube products are designed by riders for riders. As a matter of fact, that's how it all started out. Um, I know the owner, Harold, and he told me how he got going on it. It was really a project to find bags for themselves or perfect bags for themselves because they want to go light and they want to go fast. They want to go far. And that's what they've done. They've taken that and run with it for the company. And that's why the company's grown because they make great products. So when they make the bags, they're making sure they're positioned in the right spot. They may, they think about center of gravity. They definitely think about fastening and they'll come up with a prototype and then they'll go out and they'll beat the thing with weights in it over and over and over again to make sure that it's going to stand up, that it does what they want it to do, the whole bit. So it's nice to know that they put that sort of testing into it and that they're not designed just for looks. They, they get them functional and they get them to be a, an incredibly durable product first and then go for looks after that. Giant Loop is also the exclusive North American importer for Rally Raid products. Now, if you don't know what they are, that's the Honda CB500 conversion kit, which takes the Honda CB500 and turns it into an adventure bike, which to me sounds like a really good option, the CB500. It's got a low seat height, it's dirt capable, it's got a twin cylinder engine, and it's Honda. So you got the, the reliability of, of the Honda motorcycles. Giant Loop says you can find cheaper, but you can't find better. And a quote here from Cycle World Magazine in November 2015, the best hardcore saddlebag and tank bag solution we've found is from Giant Loop. There are cheaper solutions to carrying stuff, but these American-made pieces have been over mountains and across deserts with no issues. That's Cycle World Magazine. That says a lot. Go to the website www.giantloopmoto.com and use the promo code ARR for free shipping in the U.S. Anytime you're dealing with them, though, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. So what kind of price difference? Like we, we started to talk about price there and the difference between the two. Do you have sort of an estimate where you can say this is roughly what it costs by ship and this is roughly by air? It's hugely variable. We, we have a shipping system on the website where people have entered shipments that they've done themselves and what the actual costs were and all that. There's, I think, something like a thousand shipments in there. So if you want to know some idea on where to ship from anywhere to anywhere, it's all in there. And what I see is widely varying prices. It depends on how good a bargainer you are, how much work you want to put in, who you get to talk to, whether you're talking to the front desk or the guys in the shipping department, et cetera, et cetera. It just, there's a wide range. But to try and put some semblance of a number on it, North America to Europe, which is probably the most common shipping route, 
by air is roughly $2,500 each way. By sea, somewhere around $1,000 to ship it, and the port fees at the other end, eh, variable. I, I really don't want to put a number on it because it's extremely variable. Depends a lot on where exactly you're going to. So is it plausible that this $1,000 shipping for C could end up costing you close to the 2500 It could come close to it. I think if you're shipping to places like Australia, which is remarkably expensive, to South America, Asia, yes, I would be very concerned about it coming up to being about the same price as by air. Not to mention the time difference, that you're waiting, uh, you know, one end of the or the other for your bike. Yeah, I mean... Even if the shipping by sea was $1,000 cheaper, when you think about the total cost of a trip and the cost of sitting somewhere waiting for your bike for who knows how long, $1,000 is peanuts. By the sounds of it, one thing to consider between shipping it by air or sea is the fact that, at least from what I gather anyway from my research, it shows that air is sort of a fixed price. You're dealing with a big airline, they set the price and that's it, whereas by sea, it sounds almost like the price is negotiable. You mentioned there, depending on how good of a bargainer you are. Is that the case? Can you get a better deal by knowing what to do? That's a big part of it, yes. And the other part is how well you pack it. If you're going to ship by sea, the size doesn't matter a lot. But shipping by air, you want to make sure it's small. The biggest problem with bikes is that they're not heavy, surprisingly, versus volume. If you just wheel your bike up and put it in a crate... It's very big, but it's not very heavy, whereas airplanes require, by, they go by weight uh, and volume, the volumetric weight, they, they call it. So if you can make your bike as small as possible and you can go as far as taking both wheels off, packing them beside it, taking off the handlebars, squeezing it down as much as possible to the tiniest possible size, you still can't get it as down to the volumetric weight. So it's always going to be overpriced for its actual weight. So small, small, small is number one if you want to save money on shipping. So they're always going to go by size. They're, they're going to be cubic feet. For a bike, it's always going to be by size. If you choose not to roll up and just strap it onto the skid and pay the premium, if you're going to package it, then how are you talking about packaging it? There's a lot of ways of doing it. One is you can make it your, a crate yourself, and I've done it several times. It's actually quite easy. A few two-by-fours, strap them together into a, some semblance of a pallet and strap the bike down to it. A few bits of two-by-four for frame and some sheets of plywood, you've got a crate. You can also go to a local bike shop, and they're usually very happy to, say, take as many crates as you want because they have to pay to get rid of them. So you can often reuse an old crate. Um, there's, metal, there's metal crates and there's wood crates. The metal ones can be re very nice to reuse, and they're quite a bit lighter than the wood ones, but they require cardboard to go around them. But you can usually come up with enough cardboard from other crates to, to package it up. So there's lots of ways of doing it. It's not as difficult as it seems. If you've got any skills with hands, tools, it's not a big deal. It'll take you a better part of the day. Are they stacking anything on top of the crates? Yes, they definitely are, especially if they're putting it in a container by sea. They are going to put another crate on top of it, and who knows what else they're going to put on top of it. So you've got to make sure you do a good job. When we shipped out of Cairo to Nairobi, I had some local guys build a crate because in the middle of Cairo, it's, you've got to find somebody who's got a space to actually do it. And they built it out as one by twos. 
mm, that's not going to work. So we had to redo it and rebuild the crate. They had no concept of how to build a crate for a motorcycle. The crate that they built would have disintegrated at the first movement. Does the shipper give you any indication of how much weight is going to go on top? Nope, not a clue. They have no idea. Don't forget, the shipper is not the guy who packs the container. Have you heard of people who've got squash bikes? Never heard of it. So I think everybody's pretty paranoid about it, making sure they've got an adequately uh, done crate. If you ship it open without a crate, then it's a pallet and it goes on top. Which can be good or bad, I guess. Well, there's good things to it in that it's more secure, it's a little bit safer, but who knows how well they've packed the container and how much stuff is going to float around. And if it's a rough sea day, then it might get tossed around a little bit. It's hard to say. You can never be sure. I read somewhere where someone was saying that um, in certain cases, you will be required to buy special wood that is approved for shipping, which can be quite expensive. Yeah, that's why you want to use a previously used motorcycle shipping crate, because it's already treated wood. If you're shipping into places like Australia, for instance, and New Zealand as well, you have to make sure the bike is absolutely spotless. And I mean two days, three days of work with a toothbrush to get it spotless. And if it's not spotless, if the quarantine guys find any speck of dirt, they will either charge you up to $2,500 to fumigate it and make sure it's clean, or they'll just ship it back. Any speck of dirt, that's literal. Literal. I mean, it's got to be spotless. When I say toothbrush, I mean toothbrush and scrubbing. So you're pulling skid plates off the whole bit. Absolutely. You've gotta, it's got to be clean everywhere. If they can even see a speck of dirt, you're done. Well, I guess it's a good opportunity to clean your bike up, and I, I think for me it's <laughs> going to take me quite a bit to do it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of guys who sat in parts of Southeast Asia sitting there for a couple of days cleaning their bike to get it spotless. So is that the only place that is very difficult Because I've, as far as uh, um, keeping or getting the bike clean? Because I've, I've also read uh, where other countries people go into, they get charged a fumigation fee and they're basically just squirting something on the wheel. Yep. Yep, that happens all the time. I've, I've seen that done. Um, you drive up with a dirty, muddy bike, and they squirt the wheels and walk away and job done, and they charge you $30 for it. You know, it happens all the time. It's a scam. It's nonsense. I mean, it's, it probably should be done properly, but they don't. What about trailering? Um, you know, if you're going to do an overland shipment, let's say you want to, you're from one side of the United States, you want to go to the other side of the United States or Canada. Um, what about shipping considerations for that? There's lots of trucks in, in North America that ship back and forth. There's a number of companies that do it. It works pretty well. They're used to shipping fancy, expensive bikes. Lots of custom Harleys are shipped that way. Show bikes are shipped that way. Um, it's not a bad deal, and it's quite reasonable for price. You know, five, $600 kind of thing across the country at the most. Yeah, that can make a really nice trip, so you make it a one-way. Again, the best thing to do on that is to have it shipped home rather than have it shipped to where you want to start. Yep, but plan your shipment before you even start. Make sure you've contacted somebody at the other end. Make sure they can get it to your end and what it's going to do. And then all you have to do is show up at their place on the appointed day. Way it goes. Done. It's much easier to organize that kind of stuff from home than it is when you're on the road. You had mentioned to me once about getting on a cruise ship. Tell us about that. Yeah, there's, it's possible to take your bike on a cruise ship. I won't say it's easy, and you may, may well find that you get no, 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 but it's possible if your motorcycle is luggage. And how your motorcycle is, it? is Well, you just call it luggage, and you get somebody that's friendly, <laughs> and you can get on a cruise ship with your bike. 
Well, they've certainly got the facility for it. It's not like they're ill-equipped to take a motorcycle. They're taking on crates of everything all the time at every stop. As a matter of fact, isn't there a, um, a company, I remember seeing a company some time ago that, that does just that. You go on a cruise and they load your bike on, they unload it somewhere. I can't remember where it was. Have you heard of that? I'm not familiar with that one offhand. No, I can't no, I, say I, I ran am. across it on the internet. When you find out, let me know. Yeah, I will. I, I ran across it on the internet, and it was it was they, you're, so you're taking your own bike, and you go on a cruise, and they take you somewhere, and you go off, and and they unload the the bike. But so that's an interesting way to do it. Who do you approach to do that? Do you go to your your travel agent? Your travel agent isn't going to have a clue. You're going to have to talk to the guys at the cruise ship. I would personally go right down to the docks and talk to the cruise ship guys and that are there and see what they have to say. See if you can arrange something. I mean, you can try going to the cruise ship uh, website. There's going to be contact me, ask questions, um, links, and start talking and start checking. You may find something that works. I know a guy who shipped his bike across, he went across the Atlantic on, I think it was the Queen Mary. And the only catch was that he had to have a tuxedo. Because <laughs> it was a fancy cruise. So, High-end so, cruise. So is this supposed to be cheaper shipping this way? Yeah, it was, it was no, no cost. At no cost, so you're paying for the cruise. And it's luggage. It. It's your luggage. Yeah, he did wear a T-shirt with uh, the a, a tie drawn on it instead of a tuxedo. <laughs> what about he a, got away with it? <laughs> what about a cargo ship? Cargo ships used to be a very popular way to travel around the world. People did it quite a lot. Uh, it got difficult for quite some time due to all kinds of restrictions, but it seems to be making a bit of a comeback. I've heard a few stories recently of people getting their bike on a cargo ship and themselves. And that's the point, is getting you on the cargo ship. And you can go from port to port or from across the ocean with your bike on the same cargo ship. And the it's, it's not what you would call the cheapest way to go because the cost for you, I mean, think about food and accommodation for two or three weeks on the ocean. That's not cheap, but it's a really cool way to do it. And it can be a lot of fun. Oh, right. Otherwise, you'd just fly over and, and find an inexpensive place to stay and you wouldn't be incurring those costs. Or you'd ship it out and fly from home. You stay at home before instead of being the, spending the time on the ship. So it depends on where you are. If, you, if you're going from a foreign country to another foreign country, which has no relation to home, then somehow or other, you've got to suck up that time where you're waiting for your bike. And if you, if you want to ship it, then doing it by boat and you're on the same boat that's kind of fun. Can you not ship it somewhere and have someone else clear it for you and, and take it out? I mean, as in a broker? Yeah, you can. It's going to cost you. And then they're going to charge you for storage, too. I've seen storage fees like 150 bucks a day. Yeah, that's the thing when it comes to storage, that sort of thing. It's like, it's like tow uh, vehicles. You know, they, they tow your vehicle and the storage fee is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. That's The thing that everybody has to keep in mind is that Everything costs. Nothing's free. No matter what you want done, if it spends time, if somebody touches it, there's a fee. Somebody's got to get paid. People make, that's how people make livings. So is it worth it to ship your bike in some cases, or would a rental or, or purchasing a bike be better? That's a really tough one. Um, a lot of people are really attached to their bikes, and they're set up the way they like it, and they want to travel on their bike, and they want to put a sticker on their bike because it's been there. And other people could care less, and they'll go and rent, or they'll buy locally, or whatever. There's a ton of options to save a lot of money. If you wanted to go for to Europe for two or three weeks, shipping your bike's crazy. 
mean, you'd have to you have to be seriously well off to do that. You can rent a bike for considerably less than the ship than the shipping fees would be. You can buy a bike locally and ride it around for three months or four months and then sell it. And your difference, even if you almost give it away cheap to get rid of it quickly, the cost of that is going to be less than shipping by far. Yeah, and you're not taking a chance of being delayed for, for your bike not arriving. No, but it is going to take you a little bit of faffing around to get the bike, to, to actually find a bike and register it and get insurance sorted and all that kind of thing. But you have to do insurance no matter what, no matter where you go. You've got to have that. It's just the registration. And there are places where you can buy a bike and get it registered locally in your name. Uh, it's not easy. There's a lot of countries you can't do it, but it is possible in a number of countries. And again, there's the information's on the website where people have done things like that. And some people go and, and they'll buy a bike and then they'll run it for a while. They'll, they'll do a trip and they'll find someone to store it with, store the bike there and wait to come back in another year or two and then go for another ride. If you can arrange that storage, that's a great way to do it. Yeah, there's at least a couple of places in Europe, for instance, where you can do that very easily. They do, people do it as a business. And there's a place in Uruguay, uh, there's places in Australia, etc. There's always a place where you can arrange that someplace. It might not be in the exact country you want. It might be three countries over, but hey, there is a place where you can park a bike. There's a lot of people that do trips from the bottom of South America to Alaska, and they do it in a six-week vacation at a time every year. And they just keep moving their bike up. Mm -hmm. It seems like a good way to do it, and then you're not paying the shipping fees. You just have to be committed to, um, to returning and continuing your trip. Yeah, I know one guy from Europe who spent five years going from uh, Ushuaia to Alaska, and he had two identical Honda Transalps, one of them at home and one of them um, on the road. And he just, if he needed parts or anything like that, he knew what he needed. He'd figure it all out, take his parts from home or whatever he had to do or buy some new parts, and he knew what would fit and away he went. Same with the panniers and saddlebags are switching back and forth too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can, you can take your personal gear and it's all set up for your bike that you get on. It's a, it's a good way to do it. Yep, for sure. The bike that was on the road wasn't as nice as his bike that he had at home, but that's okay. It's roughly the same thing, so it makes it easy. Somebody else had three R100 GSs on three different continents. <laughs> so where are we going this year for a vacation, dear? <laughs> Pick up their panniers and fly into the appropriate bike. Well, that's good, but you got to have some bucks for that to leave that kind of money sitting around all these different countries. Yeah, but then you add in cost of shipping on a regular basis every year, and it's you know some an older bike that's not particularly fancy. You can get something fairly decent, three to five thousand dollars gets you a pretty good bike. You don't have to spend twenty grand for fancy new GSs everywhere. So clearly, shipping doesn't always work out. I'm sure you have heard all kinds of stories of shipping deals that have not worked out. Yeah, we don't want to spend the next three hours talking about it, but I'll give you a couple of good ones. <laughs> well, it can be enlightening, can it, to hear these things well, and understand what goes wrong. It's extremely enlightening. The most important thing is to talk to your shipping company and make sure you understand what it is they need. They will always have specific requirements. They will tell you about the dangerous goods and all the rest of that, and you have to follow their instructions to the letter. Uh, I know one traveler who was shipping his bike from Asia to South America, and they said, you have to drain the gas. You can leave a couple of liters in. That's okay, but you have to drain the gas. And he didn't know how to drain the gas out on the next F650, which has the gas tank underneath the seat. He had no clue, total non-mechanical guy. So he just kind of kept his mouth shut and didn't say anything. 
They took the bike away. He got on his airplane, flew out to where he was going to be, and then called back and said, where's my bike? And they said, oh, you didn't drain the gas, so we're going to have to drain the gas for you, and that will take a mechanic has to come in, and we have to book his appointment to come in and drain the gas, and there will be a fee for that. And it ended up costing him $1,500 to get the gas drained. That was including the fine for effectively lying to them and saying it was drained. Wow. Yep, you got to do what they say. If you don't understand how to do it, you don't. You have a problem, talk to them. Figure it out. Make sure it's right. Get everything correct. Uh, you've got to make sure that all the paperwork is absolutely correct. Uh, one guy sh was shipping, again, from Asia to North America and missed signing a document. They asked him to sign it, and he found it in his suitcase, and whoops, hadn't signed it. Nope, bike didn't go. He had to sign the document, fax it back, and eventually they sent it. Uh, another traveler, oh, this is a good one. Another traveler made kind of a verbal agreement with some shipping company, and they said, yeah, it's, we'll, we'll get, send you the exact price later. Don't worry about it. It's all set. It's all organized. It's around this much, and everything was wonderful. He shipped, he, he left, flew home, and then they sent him the invoice, $5,000, mm. not the $1,500 they quoted. What are you going to do? You're stuck. At that point, he's stuck. He had to pay the bill. He was not a happy camper. So get everything locked down. It's tough to blame anyone when, you, um, when you've said, go ahead and do it and haven't got the final price. And that brings me to, the, to a question here, Grant. When you're doing this, you need to go through a shipping agent. Is that right? Yeah, you can't do it yourself. You must go through a shipping agent. Uh, remember that the shipping company does not want to deal with you because you're a pain in the neck. You don't know what you're doing. You haven't got a clue. They don't trust you. They don't know if you're going to pay your bill. They have no idea. They don't want to deal with you. They want to deal with people that they deal with on a regular basis that they've established um, a connection with and they know that they're going to get it done right. So all they do is receive the goods, sign a piece of paper, the bill gets paid, it's done. They don't worry about it. It's easy for them. So the shipping agent is your friend. You've got to get somebody that really understands what you're trying to do and is on your side and is your agent. So the shipping agent is on the departure side. That's where you're hiring them from. Yes. Yeah. And don't forget, he has nothing to do with the receiving. He may have somebody at the other end that he works with on a regular basis because this is a very common route for him. It may be somewhere he has never shipped before and he has no idea. All he knows is he can put it on this ship and that ship is supposed to go to where they say it's going to go. Now, remember that ships sometimes get diverted. Now, I know that um, you have a, an extensive amount of information on your website, Horizons Unlimited, for this, but if someone's going to look for a shipping agent, and, and, we'll, and we'll get that information too so the listener can go to, that, uh, to your website and find that, but if someone's looking for a shipping agent, what should they be looking for? How do they find a shipping agent? <laughs> okay. The easy way is you go to horizonsunlimited.com slash shipping, and that'll give you a pretty good idea. If you're in a port, you're going to just go down to the port and you start talking to people and say, who can do this for me? And Yellow Pages doesn't exist anymore, really, anywhere. Uh, you may find it on the internet and you're going to start doing some searching for a shipping agent out of some country um, and try and do shipping agent motorcycle and see what you find. But how do you know that you're going to get somebody who's legitimate or, or, or at least, uh, you know, straight up with whether they're dealing with you? Horizonsunlimited.com slash shipping. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I hate to keep saying that, but... Well, it, it makes sense, you, you and, just that, don't. and that's what I'm getting to, because I mean, if, you're just, if you don't know anything about this and you're just going to go hire a shipping agent, it just seems to me you're really just sort of taking your wallet out, handing it to someone and saying, don't hurt me. Yep, exactly. I had that in Cairo. I had no idea 
you just had to start with somebody. I found somebody that actually spoke English, and that was his only criteria. If he spoke English, I'm going to deal with them. And we had to work it out. And like I said before, um, they had no clue how to make a crate for a motorcycle. Not the foggiest idea. If you want to ship your bike from Europe to Fairbanks, Alaska, which sounds like a great way to do it, you want to fly into Fairbanks, pick up your bike, ride to the Arctic Circle or to Prudhoe Bay, and then head south. That's great. Only one catch. Your bike actually goes via Los Angeles to Fairbanks. And you have to clear customs at your first port of entry. That means Los Angeles. You've got to go to Los Angeles and clear customs or find an agent who can clear customs for you in Los Angeles before it can go to Fairbanks, Alaska. It can be a real gotcha, so you got to be careful what route it's going to take. Well, that may just be the tip of the iceberg, but it certainly gives you an insight into what it's like to ship your motorcycle. Thanks very much, Grant. Thanks a lot, Jim. Hope that helps some people with their traveling shipments. I've been speaking with Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited. And you can go by Horizons Unlimited to research shipping your bike. Drop by horizonsunlimited.com forward slash shipping. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. I'm Jim Martin, and special thanks to our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course, our advertisers that help keep the show going. Max BMW, Best Rest Products, Aerostitch, Giant Loop, and The Good Adventure Company. Hey, if you haven't already heard, we have a new show out now called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It's going to be coming out once a month. The first episode is already out. You can drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and you can click on the link to the Raw show or just go to forward slash raw. We've got regulars on the show like Grant Johnson, Sam Manicom, Graham Field, Shirley Hardy Ricks, and Brian Ricks and myself, Jim Martin. It's Roundtable Talks about adventure, travel, and motorcycles. You can also find it on iTunes. You'll have to subscribe separately from this show. You can also send us your comments about the shows you've heard and about shows you'd like to hear. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. And I'll tell you something, if you haven't got one of the stickers, you've got to get one. We have them in stock, so if you order them now, they're going to be sent out to you immediately, and they only cost 5 bucks. So drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the Merch button, that'll take you there, and grab yourself a sticker for your bike. Because let's face it, an adventure bike without an Adventure Rider Radio sticker, well, it's just another adventure bike. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. I'm Jim Martin. See you next week. Hi, my name is Alicia and listening Adventure Rider Radio. Hola, mi nombre es Alicia y estás escuchando Adventure Rider Radio. <laughs>